this is the second week of a five-week series entitled, This Is Us. We're exploring who we are, and more importantly, who God wants us to be as people of the Crossing Church. As Pastor Tim told us last week, we are a community. What I want to add on to this week, we're not only a community, but we are to be a praying community. I love the example of Pastor Charles uh, Swindoll's life. Uh, he talks about an elderly woman in his church who uh, would keep in touch with him and his wife while they were at seminary. And she'd call from time to time, just kind of like this motherly figure in his life, and she would say to him, I'm praying for you, but for me to pray for you, you have to be accountable to me. So when I call, I need to know how you're doing. And did you go on to ask specifically about specific circumstances that she had prayed for before? How's this going? And then she'd find out. And when she heard that God maybe answered the way that they were hoping, she'd scratch that off the list and she'd ask again, okay, now how can I be praying for you more? What else can I lift up for you? I think it's very encouraging to have people praying for us. Amen. What a great encouragement to know there are people in the body of Christ who lift us up in prayer. I find even unbelievers, when I ask them, can I pray for you, rarely, if ever, I, I don't think ever, have turned down my request to pray for them. Actually, it's the other extreme. Uh, they want me to pray. Uh, they may not step foot in the church, but they'll call me sometimes and say, can you pray for me or my family member?" Now, they say that often to me, I find, with this tone sometimes of, your prayers are more powerful than mine. As a pastor, somehow my prayers have a, a better end with God. But we know that there's only one high priest, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. And when we repent of our sins and we believe in him, we are allowed to come to the throne of grace freely and offer our prayers, our petitions to God. There is no hindrance to come before God. All are welcome. I think most people here know that, right? I think most of us know that and probably don't struggle with the same insecurities I just mentioned. Maybe not in the same way. What I mean by that is I think sometimes we may struggle feeling confident in prayer. We may struggle feeling adequate in prayer. Maybe for many reasons. One reason could be is because we just hear other people who we see as prayer giants in our lives. And we think to ourselves, we can never pray like them. Or we may have a past that we're not proud of. And every time we pray, flashbacks of what we've done before guilt us, even though we know we've left that life behind, we've given it to God, they still pop up accusing us before the Father. Or maybe it's doubt. Maybe we look at the way life is going right now and we... We're not really happy about it. We thought things would be better by now, and they're not. And frustrated, we find ourselves not necessarily cutting God off, but not necessarily close either. Prayer is not easy to do. I find, whether it's these examples or others, there are many forces fighting against the discipline to come before our Father in heaven contritely in prayer. Many forces when I look at the chapter in Romans 8, to me, it is the most, if not one of the most, if not the most encouraging chapter in the Bible. And it, Paul gives discouraged believers who are going through tough times like us, but even more so because they're being persecuted for their faith. 
he gives them the assurance that God is for you. And then he tells them how God has provided two means to sustain your faith, to endure in the midst of hardships. One of them is his spirit, and the second is prayer. And the verses we'll be looking at specifically, specifically today are verses 26 to 27, which focus on how the spirit helps us pray. There's two questions I want to answer as we look at these verses. Why does the Spirit help us? And how does the Spirit help us? Again, two questions. Why does the Spirit help us? And why, oh, why and how does the Spirit help us? When it comes to why, it's because we struggle to see God's will for our lives. Now, don't confuse that with me talking about God's word. Of course, we know in God's word, his will is revealed in terms of we know all men. God wants all men to come to a knowing knowledge, a saving knowledge of his son and for his people to grow in holiness through his spirit producing the fruits of love and self-control. We know these things. We see very clearly in the Bible that God has a general blueprint for our lives that when we follow will result in our good in Christ. No confusion about that. None at all. But we're not always quite sure what God wants to do in the details of our lives. I'll give you an example. Just a year ago, um, Holly and I and my family were wondering if God was calling us to a new ministry. And when that got answered, there was the question of Where? That came with a million other questions of how would our family adjust? How would our children adjust? What should we do next, God? That I couldn't just turn to a specific verse in the Bible and find exactly what I needed to do. It came through months of agonizing in prayer and waiting for God to reveal what it is he has for us. There are certain things we can see very clearly in Scripture, and then there's the unfolding will of God that we're not quite sure until it happens and he reveals to us is my point. We may not understand the purpose of a life altering situation. You're working 20 plus years at a job and you're let go. All of a sudden out of nowhere, your health fails and you're stricken with sickness. And Paul explains why we struggle to see God's unfolding will in our lives when he says in verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, if we want to understand what weakness means, we have to look at the hint Paul gives us at the beginning of the verse. He says, in the same way. When you say in the same way, it's suggesting that he wants to build on what was just said before in verses 18 through 25, where he explains our world is in a state of frustration. Now, that word frustrated means you feel held back. You feel like you're not quite able to be all that you were intended to be. It's like a runner who loves to run and has, has the passion to run and has trained and has, you know, eaten the right stuff, but finds every time they run in a race, three-quarter in, their body fails. It's a race they never can win. You're never able to become quite what you were meant to be, but you know you were meant to for more. You fall short. That's the lingering effects of the fall. See, when Adam disobeyed God in the garden, sin not only entered our hearts, but he entered the world, affecting everything around us. It changed the perfect state that God created everything to be and lowered it. 
from what it was intended to be. We're told specifically in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, that something as routine as growing crops to eat, God tells Adam now, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. That is a perfect picture of what life is on this world. Now, peace and order has been replaced with pain and chaos. And we see it every time we see a natural disaster, like a tsunami that hit Indonesia this past December, leaving houses pummeled and 430 people dead, or tornadoes that ripped through the Midwest, or the wildfire epidemic we had in California. We see it in the floods of Nigeria and Japan and India that left hundreds homeless and dead. It's not to mention diseases like AIDS or malaria, cancer that kills millions of people daily or babies who are born with deformities like no face and no ears. We see the crippling effects of sin in our world all the time and how much we have fallen so far from the glory of God. Pastor Sean Piper put it this way. He said, if we could see one thousandth of the suffering of the world at any given moment, we would collapse under the horror of it all. Only God can endure that sight and carry on. The calamities we see around us is a picture of how horrible sin is. See, Paul is saying that weakness is living in a fallen world where you are constantly surrounded by heartache. You're living in unstable times, unpredictable circumstances, while we ourselves struggle with sin. One of the phrases I love when Pastor Tim says it is that in Christ we stumble, but we're, we're stumbling what? We're stumbling in the right direction, we're stumbling forward. But guess what? We're waiting for the day we don't stumble at all. We're waiting for the day we don't have to wrestle with things. We're hoping, we just keep hoping, that we overcome. We're waiting for a day that we're not encompassed by the battle with sin. We want to be free of it. But this side of heaven, guess what? Our minds, our bodies, our souls are weak. They are frail. And the struggles continue. And one of the expressions of our weakness is our struggle to pray. You look back at verse 26 again, or verse 26 continues. It says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. The struggle is not that we don't know how to pray. The struggle is we don't know what to pray. Now, one aspect that, um, that we hinted at before is when we talked about the unfolding will of God. Part of what makes God God is that his, he has infinite wisdom. He's not limited to a moment or to a circumstance. He doesn't have blinders on. All of history lays before him. And so he knows what he wants to do in his world, in this church, and in your life. He knows it all. He sees it all. But we're limited. We don't see it all. We see only the moment. And in our weakness and in our finiteness, this isn't a wrong thing. But we want relief right now. We want it right now. 
And that's not wrong. The Bible tells us to bring our requests honestly to God, to lay our hearts before him transparently, to tell him what we need, because he's a good father who loves us. But sometimes what we want is not what he plans. And the problem is when we assume or presume that it should be, and it will be, and we are not open to the fact that God in his all-knowing wisdom may use another way. Moses experienced this when he begged God to let him go to the promised land, and God said no. Paul experienced this when he prayed three times that God would remove the thorn from his side, physical ailment probably that he wanted to be healed of, and God said, my strength is sufficient in your weakness. Even Jesus when he realized the agony that laid before him on the cross, becoming sin for you and me, pleaded with God the Father to the point where his sweat became like blood and yet was told, this is the only way. Suffering would lead to glory. John Piper sums it up well when he says, we don't know the secret will of God about our, weak, about our sickness and our hardship." We don't know whether we should pray for healing or for the strength to endure. Folks, in our wisdom, it's very hard to understand what Paul means in 2 Corinthians 4.17 when he says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What's he mean by light? Stage 4 cancer isn't light. Having your spouse say they want to divorce you out of nowhere or your child turn from the Lord and from you is not light. What do you mean? He's saying as we trust God that he can use even the most painful situations to actually advance the glory we will receive in heaven one day. He is saying that they are so eternity in heaven, glory with God eternally is so great that it goes far above and beyond anything you face here. Folks, that is really hard to comprehend, right? Am I alone in that? Really hard to comprehend. But that's how great glory will be. And he echoes in Romans 8.28 when he says, and we know, you know this verse, and we know all things, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. The good in your life is that you be conformed to the image of Christ Amen. and that you reach glory. So we pray boldly and we pray specifically. We bring our needs before God, but we do it always understanding, not my will, but your will be done. We have to submit to the reality that God in his wisdom knows what he's doing. Ideally, our prayers would be like Job when he prayed, or more so when he said in Job 1.21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. But here's the challenge of living in weakness. There is, that's often not the case. Things aren't often ideal. Just a little while later, Job prays in Job 10, 1 through, 1 through 3, I loathe my life. I give free utterance to my complaints. 
I speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress and to despise the work of your hand? Sometimes the heartaches of trials can be so numbing that we don't even know what to say. I mean, you, you, you try to open your mouth and nothing comes out. You can't even lift up your head. For three years, uh, the church we were at in Berlin, and the churches around prayed for Holly's mom to get better from cancer. And two years in, she was in remission. And things were looking up. And all the churches, these network of churches, were praising God for this great healing. Well, within a few months, she got sick again. And she was on hospice. And she passed away. Now, folks, I don't say this not aware of God still moving amongst his people. I have seen people on their deathbeds and God miraculously heal or extend their lives. I have seen God work. I know God works. But there's these times too. And these times hurt. And these times put us in a loop where I feel I'm, I am such in such deep grief. I don't even know where I'm at. I don't know if my prayers are making sense at all. I feel like I'm wandering in the desert aimlessly trying to find my way. I feel broken. And I find myself saying, God, this doesn't make any sense. There are times it's really hard to see how the circumstances of our lives line up with God's overall plan. We know glory's coming. We know where things are headed. But in the moment, things should be so dark that we just can't see how it's still headed in that direction. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way? Even the attempts of others to encourage and remind you, all things work together for the good brother or sister, fall short. And you find yourself saying, how could things be good when all I see is sorrow? How could things be good when the chemotherapy and radiation is making me constantly vomit? And I feel like a shell of myself. Or I can't get out of bed. How could things be good when this is the third relative who has died this year? And I don't know if I could take any more. There are times where the pain is just so great that we can't fathom relief is coming. Biblical scholar Douglas Moo put it this way. He said, the frustrations and difficulties of life can sometimes all but erase the image of glory for us. So the question is, how do we hold on to hope in the face of suffering? Because this happens too, doesn't it? Real life happens as we're holding on. How do we do it? Or more specifically, how do we turn to God for help when I don't even know what to pray? I don't even know what to say to him. Well, the promise we see here in Romans is in our weakness, even in our weakness, the Spirit intercedes for us according to God's will. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to get you from here to glory. It's the primary role. Beginning of chapter 8 of Romans, we're told that it is through the Spirit we have life in Christ. Meaning before he came into the picture, you were spiritually dead. You wanted nothing to do with God. You had no sensitivity to God until the Spirit quickened your soul to life. 
Romans 8.15 says, It is when the Spirit came into the picture, into our hearts, that we are willing to humble ourselves like children and cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 5.5 tells us that it's also through him that the love of God is poured into our hearts. How so? In that he leads us into all truth. He empowers us to live a holy life in Christ. But he is also a seal of your place in heaven. He is a guarantee that God was not finished with you no matter what you're going through. As he changes you into the new person that God intends, he is a first installment, a little taste of the glory to come. He is a literal, tangible evidence of the fact glory is coming your way. In other words, one of Paul's main themes throughout this chapter to these believers has been, as discouraged as you feel by life right now, and as weak as you feel, God is determined He is determined through his spirit to make sure you make it to the end. What does that mean? The spirit's ministry is to guarantee that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Meaning even when you feel so distant and he feels so distant, the presence of God himself in you lets you know he has not forsaken you. And it's also a reality that you will not forsake him. No matter how bad things get, you will not forsake him. Verse 26 says again, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Doesn't take away or remove our weakness. He helps us. The word help here means to shoulder the load. It's a picture of someone, say someone's uh, Doug. Say Doug's carrying a log. And I see Doug hunched over because the log's too heavy for him to carry It's me coming alongside Doug and saying, move over. Let me help you carry that load with you. Well, simultaneously, as we pray and we stumble, we don't know what to say. The spirit is praying with us and for us. He is intervening in the picture. The end of verse 26 says, through roadless groans. What's that mean? Some might suggest it means speaking in tongues. But if you go that route, it limits the scope of people you're talking about. Not everyone can speak in tongues. The other thing we see in this chapter is how groans is used figuratively. When Paul says that creation groans, we're not going outside and wondering, is the wind and the, you know, the trees and the seas, are they literally groaning? We all know we'd be crazy if we thought they were literally groaning. It's a picture. It's figurative speech in the same way. This is not a literal description of how the Spirit prays for you and me. It is a picture. It symbolizes how he brings our burdens to our Father. How he brings our pain and our confusion. How he sympathizes with us. He, in a sense, groans with us. Not because he's weak like us or he shares a limited view of what's happening like us, but rather because he grieves at our pain and our inability to see what God is doing through this trial. He grieves at the fact that we are so distraught by the pain. We can't see that God still loves us, that this doesn't turn away God's love and affection for us. He grieves to see Christ glorified in you even now, even through this. Give you an illustration. I don't think it's a perfect one, but um, if you have little kids, you know that, especially infants, Um, You know that when you go to the doctor for a checkup, 
you have to literally hold the child down as they get a shot or their blood drawn. Now, it's an awful experience um, as this innocent face is looking at you confused. You're supposed to be on their side, but you seem not to be at that time. And yet you do it anyway because you understand that as confused and scared as this child may be, you know what's going on. You know what the doctor's trying to do. You understand that this is good for them in the end. The Holy Spirit has an eternal, a compassionate, but eternal view on our lives. Verse 27 explains this by saying, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. God knows the mind of the Spirit, because just as the Father and the Son are one, the Father and the Spirit are one. The Spirit is not just some abstract force. He is part of the Godhead. And being a part of the Godhead, one of the three, God, one but three persons, He shares the same goal for your life that the Father does, that Christ be formed in you and that you reach glory by all means. Even when we don't know what to say, even when we trip over our words, this is our confidence when we pray. We don't come to God knowing exactly what to say often. We don't come to God understanding exactly what he's doing. But here's my encouragement from this passage or these verses. God's not scrutinizing your prayers. He doesn't have his checkoff list saying, oh, messed up on that word or messed up on that concept. That is not how God listens to our prayers. God listens with compassion. Even when we pray things, we shouldn't. Even when we pray things we're confused about, God is looking, he says, he sees our weakness. And he's given us his spirit because we're weak. And so even when we don't say the right things, the spirit is there saying the right things for us. He is rearranging and making sense of our requests. He speaks up when all we can do because we're in so much pain, we're so battered, is sob. He speaks up for us. And so contrary to belief, the times where you feel the most frustrated by life, maybe angst with God, you need to realize is the time you need to turn to God the most. You need to realize how much God is enduring sometimes our, our misunderstandings of his love. And he is willing to endure that for your good. We should be turning to him. Abraham Lincoln, who in my opinion had one of the most tumultuous presidencies period, once said this, I have been driven by many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that all about me seemed insufficient for the day. When you think about it, prayer in itself is us saying, I have no idea what I'm doing here. God, I have no idea where I'm headed. I don't know what I should be thinking, but you do. It is us acknowledging we have a holy Father in heaven who loves us, who Psalm 130 tells us knows when we sit down and when we rise, who discerns our thoughts from afar, and being intimately acquainted with all our ways, has set a path before us leading to glory that he is determined to see us reach. He has given us his spirit to help us pray in our weakness. And... The Father always hears his spirit. He always hears the prayers of his spirit. Now, there's a lot of personal application here. Let's get to the church, shall we? 
The reason why this is so applicable to us as believers is that Paul wasn't talking to an individual. He was talking to a church when he wrote this. Most of the commands in the New Testament, you will notice Paul is speaking or other writers are speaking to a group, especially here in Romans. He's speaking to a group of people who needed to be encouraged, who needed to hear this encouragement collectively more so than they did individually. And one of the things that happens when you hear a message like this collectively is you realize as you're listening in this group setting, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one struggling with this battle and this weakness. The people sitting right next to me are struggling too. Pastor Tim said it last week, we are not lone rangers in this walk with Christ. The Christian life is meant to be a group project. We were saved into a family of God to help one another endure the hardships of life on this journey to glory. One of the ways we do that is by praying for one another and praying with each other for two reasons. One, seeing others pray for you inspires you to pray. Or seeing others pray, period, inspires you to pray. I think of the Daniel's fast and, and the encouragement of knowing the whole church is praying together, is fervently seeking God about some, some hard things and, and things we want to see miracles take place in our lives and how challenging that is to us personally to stay faithful in our prayers, wasn't it? I found, you may not notice, but I noticed, you know what most of our conversations was? Hold on. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep persevering in the fast. Keep praying. It was an encouragement, Right? There's a sense of wanting to know, hey, what's going on? How has God worked in your life? What's he doing? How are you holding up with the devotionals? It's what Hebrews 10, 24 is talking about when it says spur each other unto good works. That's what it means. And one of the ways we do that best is when we pray more together. It's when we come together to pray. It's when we realize that, you know what? Me being at the prayer meeting or me coming to the life group, my mere presence is encouraging someone else there. And when I pray in weakness, even when I don't know what to say, it may help someone who is really going through the ringer right now have the courage to keep holding on in prayer. You never know the influence you have as you merely participate in these disciplines. God is using you in ways you don't even know. The second reason why we we pray together or that praying together helps us endure hardship is because I think it's when the church is the church. I think the church becomes a church more when we're lifting up each other's burdens. I find that my heart expands more for people. My mind expands more for people when I am praying for their burdens. I'm thinking about them in ways that makes me think, boy, I think I could do something here. And we're reaching out to each other and we're doing things maybe we wouldn't have been doing If we weren't praying like this, I think we start experiencing what the Bible talks about when it says mourning and rejoicing with one another. Or when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, when one member suffers, what? All suffer. All suffer. I don't think it's far-fetched to say we are never more the body of Christ than when we are lifting each other up in prayer. And when you feel that encouragement of army of saints behind you, You can go through anything. Anything that life throws your way, you find yourself through it because you're not alone. You have the body of Christ with you. Many of you have told me that you've experienced that here. 
You've told me you've gone through some pretty traumatic situations. Your family members may be sick, maybe some, some things going on in your life, but the church was praying for you. And God moved, or God helped you endure. There's a lot more testimonies I'm sure I have not heard. But you know in your heart of hearts how God has moved through the prayers of his people. What I want you to consider as we close is that there are people here that need that from you too. There are people here who need to know that you're praying for them. There are people who need the encouragement of seeing you pray, seeing you come, seeing you get involved in lifting up and crying out to God. And they're strengthened by your presence. God is so determined to work in our lives that he's given us his spirit to help us pray. But he's also given us each other. He's given us the church. He's given us the church to endure when life seems unendurable. And folks, it is the praying community that has the power to be changing agents in this world. The praying community. And by the grace of God, this is who we are. That is who we endeavor to be. This is us.